So this week, as I was, uh, knew I was going to be on vacation, and it, uh, it, was, it was a long, busy summer, and I reached out to Pastor Tony, and uh, I said, hey, is, Tito, is Pastor Tito available? I just really have come to realize that, uh, you know, most of you, um, I have taken my kids to work day every Sunday and every Wednesday, um, and I realized that when I go on vacation, it's probably a good thing for me to just focus on just them during that time and so have the opportunity that, uh, that you know, I still get to do my own devotions, but I'm not, you know, studying for something or fielding phone calls and all that stuff. And so I just really put all that aside and uh, Tony was gracious enough to come up here and I said, you know, I'm going to come back Saturday and I'll introduce you if you're okay with that. And he was fine with it. And so uh, we're blessed to have uh, Pastor Tito Tarada. Uh, and he is one of the uh, pastors at Calvary Chapel Newport News, serves with Pastor Tony. Well, you've been a minister with 17 years and 20 years and has helped with uh, churches in Texas and other places and really has been used to the Lord. And I think you're going to be blessed. And he promised not to do the whole service in Spanish today, just half of it. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, you're going to be really blessed today. And I'm really privileged uh, to have him here and uh, really speaking to our church, and I'm enjoying the opportunity just to sit and listen with you guys. So Pastor Tito, why don't you come on up? Well, thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Well, thank you for, for that introduction. You were so nice to me. You know, it's always good when you get to come to a place and meet new people and you know, as I was coming through the parking lot, just struck by the friendliness and the spirit. You know, the Bible says don't believe the spirit, but try the spirit by the spirit. And it, you know, you folks struck me as friendly and it, my spirit bears witness that the spirit of the Lord is here. And so just excited about what God is doing in our midst and excited to meet you and honored that you would have me here this morning. I got an opportunity to meet Sarah, Pastor Tim's wife, just a lovely spirit. Would you uh, pray for my wife? My wife usually accompanies me during these uh, trips. Uh, she has not been feeling well, so she is recovering in Newport News. Would you keep her in your prayers? I'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, the other night as I was uh, preparing and resting, trying to get ready for this morning. I re-injured an old basketball injury. So if you see me hobbling or grimacing, it's not because I'm mad at you. <laughs> it's because I may be a little bit uncomfortable. So would you please pray for me too? So somewhere between your praying and my preaching, we just believe that God is going to show up and do something amazing. So if I kind of go like that, move my eyebrows. Or if I raise my voice up, voice up a couple of decibels, please forgive the Puerto Rican in me. Okay, it's just my people, we're just kind of loud that way. Don't mean to yell or scream at them. I will do my best to stay. And then on top of that, I have a double whammy because I spent many years with the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and they just ruined me. And so, you know, you find folks from Calvary Chapel have taught me how to keep it down and keep it consistent. And so, you know, I have to listen to a lot of Pastor Chuck. And <laughs> rest in peace. So I'm um, just excited to have the opportunity to meet with you. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, whether you have a book or an electronic device? We're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. Very excited to, have, to be here today and just thrilled to hear the marvelous things that the Lord is doing in your midst. The title of this morning's message is Transitioning Well. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand before your people, Lord. I am humbled at your grace, Lord God, at work in this place, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that you would use me, Lord. Would you impress thoughts upon my mind? Put words in my mouth, Lord. Minister to us, Lord, beyond my preparation or education, Lord. Holy Spirit, divide to each and every person severally as you will, Lord. Remove distractions, Lord God. Help us to focus on what you have for us today. Be glorified in this place, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, because we will receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone goes through transitions in life. Uh, there are times that you transition from one job to another. There are times you transition from one city to another. Uh, perhaps you're transitioning from one phase of life to another. You know, I remember when I transitioned from being in my 20s to being in my 30s. You know, from being in my 30s to being in my 40s. Those, there are some of you who are going to transition from being in your 50s to your 60s. We all go through transitions and life. If you're a teenager, maybe this year you're going to a different school. That is a transition. If you're a couple and perhaps you haven't had children, you're having a child. That is a transition. Perhaps you've had children and you're raised, you've raised them and you have the privilege of looking forward to being empty nesters. That is a transition. So we all go through transitions. And transitions can be difficult because by definition, transition means to change, to shift or to move from one position to another. The reason we find transition difficult is because along with that change, we have to change also. And even though God never changes, God is a God of change because he brings us into his kingdom to change us. And change can be good if we do it well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Ultimately, these bodies, these mortal bodies, will receive an immortal, a glorified body. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, Behold, we all with an open face, beholding as in a glory, in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So not only will we ultimately be changed, God, as we are looking into the mirror of his word, is changing us into the image of Christ. And so I know that this is a very exciting time for your church because you are going through a transition. And so after praying, I've really felt impressed of the Lord to talk to you about transitions to encourage you, to instruct you, to inspire you in transition as you look forward to the transition into this new building. Therefore, as we go through these verses today, I want to give you five keys to transitioning well. Five keys to transitioning well. Let's begin reading there in verse one. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Apparently, the place where Elisha the son, and the sons of the prophets were living was too small. They had to move. There are times that we have to move because we outgrow the facilities that we're in. There are times that we have to move because it is an act of God's providence or God's grace. 
Almost like Elijah, when Eli in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was at the brook of Carib, and he was being fed meat by the ravens, and he was drinking water out of the brook. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17, records these words. So after a while, the brook dried up. There was no more water, so it became necessary for him to move. This speaks of two things. One, it is a circumstantial change in life. If there's no water in the area, you're not going to stay there because you'll die of thirst. And two, it speaks of a providential move of God's grace, a sovereign move of God's spirit. As you know, in scripture, when it talks about water, it's often talking about the Holy Spirit. John 7, 39, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the spirit that those who believe in him would receive. So the brook drying up speaks of the grace lifting for him to be there and him having to move to a different place. Sometimes you're in a place where God gives you grace to be in that place, but all of a sudden, your desire for being there or your intention or your season for being there is lifted and God lifts the grace for you being there and you wind up transitioning to another place. And so the place that where the Elisha and the sons of the prophets were was not adequate for them. The place where they were, it was limited. In order to transition well, we need to be aware of limitations. And one of the worst kinds of limitations is not the lack of resources. The worst kind of limitation is limited thinking, which brings us to the first key that we need in order to transition well. In order to transition well, we need to leave behind limited thinking. In order to make a transition successful and productive, we have to leave behind the kind of thinking that says, we can't do that. We won't be able to accomplish that. That's not possible. What if God doesn't move? The place where the sons of the prophets were, where they lived, it was too small. Let me ask you a question this morning. I want you to ask yourself a question. It's a rhetorical question. Is the place where you live in your mind too small? There are times that in our minds we place limits on what God can do for us. We inadvertently embrace limited thinking. There's a really interesting verse in the book of Psalm, chapter 78, verse 41, and it says, Yes, and again, they turned from him, and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Interesting verse. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Well, God is almighty. How can you limit God? Can you put handcuffs on him and arrest him and put him in jail? We can't impeach him and remove him from power. Well, how did they limit God? They limited God by their thinking. God brought them out of Egypt and delivered them, yet in their minds and in their thinking, they were still thinking of themselves as grasshoppers. 
In 2 Kings chapter 13, it tells the story of when Elijah is going to die, he calls Joash to him. And Elijah it was sick with the sickness with, with which he died. And he tells Joash, Joash, I want you to open the window. So he opens the window and he says, shoot an arrow. And when he shot an arrow, he prophesied deliverance to him. Then he says, I want you to take the arrows and strike the ground. The king Joash took the, the arrows and struck the ground three times. One, two, three. Second Kings chapter 13, verses 18 and 19 declares these words, that Elisha became angry with him because he only struck three times. He said, why didn't you strike five or six times? You would have defeated the Syrians until you wiped them out. Now you will only defeat them three times. He, he was limited in the amount of times that he hit the ground. I remember having a conversation with one of my theology professors. This was back in 1995. His name was Dr. Shindall. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And I remember him telling me about how God was using him in South America. And he was traveling and building schools and miracles were happening. And he said this to me. He was 83 years old at the time. He said these words to me, Pastor. He said, God is using me in an amazing way. But it's taken him this long to convince me that he wanted to use me. There are times that we can place limits on what God wants to do through our lives. Not only there are times we can place limits to what God can do in our lives, there are times that we place limits on how God can move through other people. Uh, the, the disciples came to Jesus one time and they said to him, Jesus, we saw some people casting out demons in your name and because they don't walk with us, we forbid them. Jesus said to them, don't forbid them. Because if they are not against me, they are for me. There is no one that can do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil against me. The disciples didn't want them to cast out demons in the name of Jesus because they weren't following Jesus. They had a limited perspective of how God can work through other people. And we must lay aside the limits and not realize that God works through whom he wants to work Whenever he wants to work, however he wants to work, all within the context of Scripture. Can you say amen? amen? We have a way of convincing ourselves that our way is the right way. We have a way of convincing ourselves that our way is the only way. Now, I'm not talking about extra biblical truth. I'm talking about methods and systems and perspectives and perceptions. Uh, but we have a way of getting zoned in and believing that our way of doing it is the only way. Did you know that this happens to couples when they are communicating? Because you have the husband and the wife communicating in two different styles. This became really real to me when I was learning how to communicate with my wife 20 years ago. My wife, who happens to be an extrovert and enjoys talking, would talk to me. She said, honey, I want to talk. Now, when you say to me, I want to talk, we're going to have a quick conversation. You're going to give me a bullet point of the facts, and we're going to move on. <laughs> when my wife talks... She would start with one subject and go into great detail about that subject. 
And then she would move on to another subject, which would lead to another subject. And by the time she's through, she has discussed five or six subjects in great detail. And at the end of everything, say to me, what did you think about what? <laughs> the kids, the car, the job? Which subject did you want me to comment on? And so I began to realize that I needed to change my communication style. So when my wife would talk, said, I want to talk, I said, wait a minute, honey, I would get a notepad and a pen. <laughs> and as she talked, I took notes. And when she, she switched subjects, I followed along. So when she said, what do you think? I said, well, when you first started out, what you said about this, and then she had the audacity to want to cut it. I said, no, wait a minute. Let me finish. So I was able to intelligently respond to her on every subject because I found myself in this dilemma. Are you guys doing all right? I'm going to get back to the text, but somebody needs to hear that. I found myself in this dilemma in that she would talk about an issue and I would sit there for 45 minutes and listen and then she would bring it up and I would say, we already talked about this. She says, no, I talked, you listened. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not fair. So I had to learn how to actively listen and respond to her. So what happened over a period of the years is that not only did I become adept at being able to multitask and being able to listen to multiple subjects at the same time, is that she started getting shorter. She started giving me the Reader's Digest version, and it's like beautiful music. She, I moved over closer to her style of communication, and she moved over slower to mine, and it works wonderfully. But as the husband, I had to take the lead because I am the head of the household, and I had to dwell with her according to knowledge. Instead of, frust instead of fussing at her why she talks so much, I just said, let's roll with it. And what I'll do is I'll find a way where I can understand. I, you, if you speak in tongues, I got the interpretation. <laughs> and so we can't be limited. You know, uh, Albert Einstein once said, and I quote, the world that we, as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. We have to open up our minds to new ideas. We must be open to up our minds to God giving us new methods. We must stay sensitive because God may want to use different people in a new season. If we're going to transition well, we cannot embrace limited thinking. Let's continue to read there in verse number two. Please let us go to, jo to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Verse 2 said, they, they asked Elisha if they could go to Jordan. And Elisha said, go. The word Jordan is the, the, in the Hebrew actually means the descender, the one who descends. The Jordan River actually descends around 65 miles from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. And what, they were, what these men were about, were about to do is each man was going to cut down a beam and each man was going to build a place. Each man was going to be responsible for cutting down his beam. A, a beam is a wooden joist that is made out of a thick limb 
of a tree. So each man was going to be responsible for cutting down his own tree and building his own limb. And this, them going to the, to the Jordan, the one who descends, speaks of them humbling themselves. He, this brings us to the second key for transitioning well. We must take on the humble attitude of a servant. They went down to the Jordan. Not only that, but each man had to cut down his own tree. Luke 9.24 says it this way. If anyone desires to come after me, let us take on his cross and daily follow me. In order to make any kind of transition well, we must take on the attitude of a humble servant. The attitude of a humble servant is best reflected in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. Let me read these for you. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 23, 1, he declared, whoever wants to be the greatest amongst you, let him become the servant of all. Anytime we start feeling like we're getting the short end of the stick, anytime we start feeling like they're getting away with murder and we're doing all the work, any time we're feeling like they're taking advantage of me or they don't value me or they don't appreciate me, might I suggest that you have left the position of a servant. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, and he ends his teaching on forgiveness with an interesting story. He tells the story of a servant who was out on the field working with his master. And then they come back from the field after a hard day of work, and the master says, go serve me my food, and after I have eaten, then you can eat. Jesus said these words, does the master thank the servant because he has done these things? He said, no. He's done what it is duty to do. We are all but unprofitable servants. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't appreciate people. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't validate people. That doesn't mean that we should not encourage them and get them out of boy. It just means that that is not our motivation. We should serve because the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness, serve the Lord with fear. The Psalms tell us that he who walks in a perfect way will serve you. We serve God because we love him and he's called us to serve and it's our duty as Christians to serve, serve him, whether anybody ever says thank you or not. So in order to transition well, we must take on the attitude of a humble servant. Let's keep reading there in verses 3 and 4. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them and they came to Jordan and they cut down wood. 
They asked Elijah to go with them, and he consented to go. So they went, and they cut wood together. And here's the third key to transitioning well. Everyone must work together. In order for a church to be successful, everyone must work together. In order for a family to be successful, everyone must work together. In order for a business to be successful, everyone must work together. In order for a marriage to work, you must work together. Someone once said marriage works when you work at it. This speaks of having unity. If we're going to transition well, we must work together in unity. Psalm 133 says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that was poured down Aaron's head and ran down its beard down to his skirts. And if you get to the end of the chapter, it says, for there God commands the blessing. One of the few places in scripture where the blessing of God is commanded. God commands a blessing upon unity. When the head is in line with the beard and the beard is in line with the skirt and the garment, when everything is in line and people are in unity and people are in agreement, God commands the blessing. Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? We must have agreement. We must have unity. Sometimes as you're going through a transition or going through a change, people will say that they are all for the transition. They're all for the move. But in all honesty, they stay behind. They, stay, they move forward with you and they are physically with you and they are geographically with you, but emotionally and mentally, they've stayed behind. They're still lamenting over the way that things were. Or they're still lamenting that things are done differently. Therefore, they are physically there. They're geographically there. But spiritually and emotionally and mentally, they've stayed behind. And as time progresses, that will become clear. The Israelites struggled with the same issue. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, I love this verse. It says, we remember, this is, the, this is the Israelites actually speaking. It says, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. This verse means that they like to have bad breath. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> Here they are being delivered from Israel, they're in the middle of a desert and they are daydreaming about the food that they ate in Egypt. They were physically and geographically transitioned out of Egypt, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally, they were still back in Egypt. And when you go through a transition, inevitably you will find people that move forward with you, but in actuality, they stay behind. Did you know that that happens in marriage too? Sometimes you can be in a house and live with someone and they, you sleep in the same bedroom, but emotionally 
and mentally, they've checked out. They're physically there. They're geographically there. But they're not emotionally engaged. They're not engaged with the family. This can be either the husband or the wife. One of my responsibilities at Calvary Chapel is I do a lot of the counseling there. And I usually have men come to me and say, well, Pastor Tito, I don't beat my wife. Thank you for doing that. I don't smoke dope. I don't go out and I pay the bills. What more am I supposed to do? And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, should we pin a Congressional Medal of Honor on your chest because you don't rob a bank? (laughs) You should do those things. But you also need to be engaged. You also have to provide emotional support for your wife. The Bible says, husband, 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving them honor as unto the weaker vessels. Wives, is this your husband? Just look straight ahead. Don't look at him. Don't elbow him. I know how you are. I have one. You're like, mm-hmm. But part of our responsibility is to dwell with them according to knowledge, giving them honor as unto the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life. That, that word weaker, it, means, it means, doesn't mean that they are inferior. It means that uh, they are more fragile. They are different. It's the difference between a mug and a wine glass. You can take a mug and throw it across the table and it will just bounce around. But if you take a wine glass, it will break. And so it is incumbent upon us, the scripture says, that we are to give her honor. That's the way we honor our wives, is to give that support, dwell with her according to knowledge. And it says, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Did you know that there is a grace or a favor that comes upon you and your wife and your marriage and your household when you are in harmony, when you are in unity, when when you are providing the support? What the sad thing is what often happens in marriages that we have a checkmate, a stalemate, I'm sorry. You don't love me as Christ loved the church, so I won't respect and submit to you. And I'm speaking to us men as the leaders of the house, as the head of the household, we're the one that need to take the lead. If your wife is not respecting you, if your wife is not doing what she needs to do, You still have to be the man and man up and fulfill your role. Her not fulfilling her role does not exempt you from fulfilling yours. And the same is true for you ladies. Because the first first part of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that the husband is won over by the conduct of the wife. And so it is important as we move forward that we understand that sometimes people check out emotionally. So don't be checked out, be engaged, be involved. Let's read verses four, five, and six. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there and he made, made the iron float. One of the people with Elijah was cutting down a tree to create his beam and the tool he was using to complete his mission fell into the water. His mission 
would have been hindered. His mission suffered a delay. This brings us to the next key for transitioning well. In order to transition well, we must stay focused on our mission. They were all trying to accomplish a mission or a goal as a group. Each man was trying to cut down a beam and make a place for himself. This incident would have affected their overall mission as a group. Our overall mission as a church is to share the love of Christ and the word of Christ with a dying world. You know, there's a beautiful imagery here. I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. In the same way that this man threw a stick, that the prophet threw a stick into the water to cause a fallen axe to come to the surface, so must we take the message of a savior who died on a wooden cross to a fallen world so that they would arise to his calling. We have to be careful during transition not to get focused on the preparations for transition. There is a lot that needs to be done with going into a new building. There's a lot that needs to be done with moving into a new place, new space, new organization, new ministries. And if we're not careful, we can lose focus of our, the main goal for the, miss- the, the mission. There's a wonderful scripture in the book of Luke chapter 10 that talks about this. Jesus is sitting at Mary and Martha's house. And the Bible says that Martha was cumbered about with much serving or preoccupied with much serving. And Mary was sitting at his feet, hearing his word. Martha comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? He responds to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and worried about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the best part which will not be taken from her. The Apostle Paul put it this way, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, reaching forth to those things that are before me, I press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In the middle of our transition, we have to remember to keep Jesus at the center to keep the teaching of the word of God and the word of Christ and the love of Christ at the center. Because sometimes in the preparation, we can lose lose perspective of our goal. I know you have a great pastor and he will not allow that to happen. You know, my son taught me about this, about, you know, staying focused. My son is a very focused individual. You know, we we had my son on a gluten-free diet some time ago. And I used to get him these gluten-free chocolate chocolate chip cookies. And so I brought a box of chocolate chocolate chip cookies into the house. And from the moment that he saw that box of cookies, he's like, I want a cookie. And I said, Christian, you cannot have a cookie. These cookies are for your school snacks. I want a cookie. He was focused on his mission. I want a cookie. And you know how kids do. They just wear you down. Finally, I said, all right, after dinner, you can have a cookie. And so I give him a cookie. And so after he eats the cookie, he says, I want more cookie. I want more cookie. I said, okay, I'm frustrated now. Now you need to go to bed. So we went to bed that night. And so 
I, as we went to sleep, I got up at two or three o'clock in the morning as men my age often do. <laughs> that is not meant to be funny. <laughs> and I notice under the door that the light is on. And so now I have to investigate because I remember turning all the lights on. So as I make my way downstairs, I noted that the ha- noticed that the hallway lights were on. The downstairs light on, the living room light, the kitchen light is on, the porch light is on. All the lights in the house are on. So I make my way to the kitchen and my eyes fell upon the place where I had hidden the cookies and it was open. <laughs> the box of cookies was on the counter. The wrapper was out. There were crumbs all over the place. There were no cookies to be found. And so now I have to go back upstairs to deal with this young man. So I make my way to his room. I notice that the light in his room is on. I fling the door open and he's sitting on his bed. His eyes are wired open because he's on a sugar high. And he says to me, cookies are delicious. That's what you do when you're focused on a mission. You lay hold of it until you obtain your mission. If we're going to transition well, we must stay focused. Let's read verse 7 and then we'll close. And the latter part of verse 6. And he made the iron float, therefore he said... Pick up, pick up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. The axe head fell into the water. Elisha asked him, where did it fall? He throws a stick in the water and the axe head floats. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but the last time I checked, the laws of physics do not allow that. Axe heads, in fact, I like the old King James Version because it says that the axe swam. It makes it a little bit more melodramatic. So here we have a supernatural move of the Spirit of God on behalf of the sons of the prophet, which brings us to our fifth and final key. We must expect great things from God. Expectation is a powerful thing. What are your expectations today? I want to encourage you to allow your imagination to soar, to believe God to do great things in your life, to believe God to do great things in your marriage, to believe God to do great things in your family, to believe God to do great things here in this ministry. As you move over into this new building, I want you to picture God saving people, people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you guys to picture going to two or three services because the move of God is so awesome in that place. I want you to allow yourself to expect God to do big things, not because we're focused on church growth, but because our heart is broken because of this fallen humanity. And because of the people who need Jesus out there. That, listen, when people, when people start uh, talking about how God has blessed Calvary Chapel Richmond, they'll be lined up around the corner to try to wait on Sunday morning. 
that you're having to tell your kids, you better hurry up, you better hurry up because I don't want to be in the video room. I want to get a seat. (laughs) Expect God to do great things. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul declares these words. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul wrote this when he was locked up. He never got out of prison. Yet his expectation was that he was going to be delivered. That he was going to keep on teaching. That he was going to keep on writing. That he was going to keep on being used by God to minister. What do you expect from God? Jeremiah 29, 11, and again, I'm going to quote the old King James Version. If you haven't picked up by now, it is the version that I read. Okay. It says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. The newer translations say a future and a hope. But I like the old one. It says to give you an expected end. God's power is still alive today. And even though our focus is not on the supernatural power of God, but on his word, we always want to remember that his power is available to us. And we want people not to experience God in spirit and in truth. That we have a happy marriage between the word of God and the supernatural power of God. Because it's the power of God that's going to transform and change the hearts of people. So what is your expectation today? God is still on the throne. He's still almighty. He can still change this nation. I'm so glad that you are praying for revival. I pray for this country every day. Every day. When we have someone locked up because they refuse to marry, marry somebody of the same sex, and we're calling them a criminal. Something has gone terribly wrong. So I want to encourage you today. Be blessed. Be empowered. Let me close with this. Today we saw that the sons of the prophets recognized that they needed to make a change. Therefore, Elijah agrees to this transition. So we, so we used Elijah's story kind of as a case study for transitioning well. And we discussed five keys for transitioning well. Those five keys are number one. Leave behind limited thinking. Number two, take on the attitude, I'm sorry, take on the attitude of a humble servant. Number three, we must work together and be in unity. Number four, we must stay focused on the mission. And number five, we must expect God to do great things. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word because your word never returns void. I ask you, Lord God, as Uh, We enter into a time of ministry that you would touch your people, that, Lord, um, good decisions would be made for your kingdom, but more than anything, that you would empower those decisions, that you would anoint those decisions, that, Lord, you would touch hearts, Lord God, that you would work miracles in our midst, Lord. I pray that also, Lord, you would cause us to be transformed and changed by what we heard today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. Pastor Tim.